Grapple fans, and welcome! You've waited for ages for them, but they're like buses too, come in very quick succession. Yes, it's Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer 5 Star Project, back with a vengeance, and it's your regular co-host here. I'm Lorcan Mullen, and with me as always is my co-host... Simon Cross. How you doing, Lorcan? I'm doing very well, Simon. So, even better now that we've got another match that Dave Meltzer reckons is 5 stars or higher coming from this one heck of a year that has been 2020... Oh boy. When we were wondering if ever a five star match would reoccur in this uh, year, we always had down that event in the diary that is Dave Meltzer's Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Easter, Tip Top Tet. And a solemn, dignified Ramadan. But it's a very solemn, dignified Japanese audience observing, using the right COVID rulings, a match between whom, Simon? Uh, it's between Shingo Takagi, Takagi, get my teeth in, and Will Osprey. The uh, it's so it's Britain versus uh, it's England versus Japan rather, and it's uh, the match that won match of the year last year at the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Awards that I be- from the best of the Super Juniors final, which was really the um, swan song I suppose of both of these men being viewed as juniors only. Because almost immediately after that, uh, Will Ospreay wins the junior title at Dominion, and then both men are entered into the G1 Climax and essentially treated as heavyweights going forward. And Will has bulked up. Yeah, well, he he really wants us to know that. <laughs> There's other things about him he doesn't want us to know so much, or to forget anyway. But uh, he is entering this match cock of the walk. As it were. Ah, he's loving himself, isn't he? He's loving life. He's uh, got a nice jaunty step to him as he comes down to the ring. He's quite, uh, what's the word? Cocky? Cocky. No, well, no, no, no. I was going to say to the young lion, he's just quite um, patronising mm. as he gives him the Rev Pro title. That's the badger I was looking for. And yeah, all round, he just seems to be a bit of an arse. Uh, life imitating art? Imitating life? I don't know. There's, there's a lot of people that right now don't really want to watch Will Ospreay matches, and that's fully understandable uh, for the purposes of this series, and also because I'm not doing that kind of boycott myself personally at this point. Uh, I am watching him in the G1 Climax. I, I think what my problem with this match, and it's not going to be super critical, it's a very well-wrestled match, but I am a bit curious as to why it's this one that Meltzer gives the five stars out of all the other matches. I think there have been better told story matches in this so far, especially like Naito Tanahashi on the first uh, couple of nights shows. Even, weirdly, I really got a big kick out of the Minoru Suzuki Taichi match, which was Suzuki-Goon Civil War. But uh, this is very well wrestled, but it does, to me, it feels like very much like a um, a lesser sequel to the 30-plus minute epic that they had at Sumo Hall mm. where they were just doing insane sequences of moves at a ridiculously fast pace. With this one, it is a mid-tour match that's not even the f- main event of that night. 
but it's very well wrestled. But I think maybe one of the things that's bothering me still, and I think it's also bothering Dave Meltzer with the fact that, you know, we're, I think six or I think he's rated six nights of G1s, and this is still the only one he's given five stars to, is that the crowd, it's almost like the crowd is what the stereotypical image of a Japanese wrestling crowd is throughout this whole match. Very respectful, very quiet, and just intermittent applause. Well, they've been told not to yeah, shout. Yeah, exactly. They've been told not to. Like, that is the most they can do. They can applaud. Jay White's been having a lot of fun mocking them over that. <laughs> they can't even chant. So sometimes they sort of do synchronized claps. You you have to try and figure. I think they're clapping for Sanada. Sanada. Yeah. Or is it Naito? Naito. <laughs> you know. I was saying Burns. You're trying to figure out the cadence of a clap, you know? Yeah. It's it's a it's a true testament to as as we you've said earlier the the weird year and time that we're in. So the thing about Japanese audiences that I think has always been misrepresented is yes they might start off quietly but that's because they're observing the match. It's not through boredom or anything. And then as they're getting more and more emotionally invested and as the match is reaching its crescendo, the crowd volume is going up to match that intensity. Yeah, it's a cuz I had that stereotype of Japanese audiences were quiet like still in me when we started the five star project and that was swiftly uh dealt with especially when we were in four pillars territory it's i I will say it does feel a bit cold and clinical the atmosphere in this match no fault of the what what's going on in the ring necessarily or no fault of the crowd like that they're doing what they're told to be done but it's just not the same. <laughs> Maybe it's because Meltzer does see himself as having some sort of objectivity in his star ratings at times. Because he'll say, like, oh, I actually prefer Hiroshi Tanahashi matches to Zach, uh, against Zack Sabre Jr. to mm. a lot of the stuff I give five stars to. I'm just using the like, like he said, like it's almost like I always mock it like a driving test that there are requirements that you have to match. <laughs> in order to get the five stars yeah and so it's like because everything's competently done there's creative flourishes and it's paced well and no there are no real mistakes in it i think there's a couple of slightly awkward steps but that's that that can just be passed away as like the struggle of a fight although there is also i mean you know it's one of those ones where it's a point of contention now on an ideological spectrum because some people take like the clip i think a clip that was doing the rounds was they're very fast-paced, Dragon Gate-esque dodges and kicks, and it's like it's like the classic indie standoff. Yeah, like, yeah, I think it's like their second exchange, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and they, I mean, they've done an even more intricate one at the best of the Super Juniors, or it, I remember it being more intricate. But the idea of this match, though, is that it does tell some stories, and there's definitely um, character interaction, and it, and, it, and it also it factors in their progression in the tournament so far. Like Will Ospreay's going in two and zero, oh, and Shingo's going in zero oh and two, and Osprey very much seems to think that this is going to be his year, as do a lot of people in the predictions. Maybe even one of us in the predictions, yeah, uh, have gone for that. And so, I mean, he's playing into it. It's funny actually where they almost go meta within it, and they say like, uh, you know, this is going to be my year, and I think he knows that a lot of people think that is going to be the case, and so they're playing that into the story. Uh, similarly. When Naito was facing Sonata, Naito was at three and zero, and Sonata's at zero and three. And weirdly, Naito says, "I know what you're all expecting. You're all expecting Sonata to win." 
Because that's what makes sense. Essentially saying, well, that's what the booking should be. Yeah. Which was what turned out to be the case. But it's weird that they're almost playing that, like, everyone's armchair booking of it. And, and sort of knowing the patterns of a G1 climax. Do you think that's because they're having to... It, it's different... Like, they haven't got, like, the tag matches this time round to, like, do little bits in. They're, they're a little bit restricted compared to, like, the before times in how they tell the story. That they can sort of give, like, a knowing wink. Well, no, I think that's almost as much down to the two characters. Like, Osprey's a bit of a cocky prick and Naito's a bit of a smart ass. Yeah. That, that's what their characters are, and that, so it makes sense for them to both cut promos that allude to that. Uh, but it's still working within character. I think, that, like you say, the basic problem with this is that they can't work with the crowd. You know, before we recorded this, we were kind of talking about the football because it's insane at the moment. And I think what that is is partly because there's no crowd there, so it's almost been a great leveller of things, and the big clubs aren't are having these shocking results, and yeah. other teams are having great wins and then losses that don't make sense straight after that. And I think that's because... They're not used to the crowd, and that affects how you play. Mm. But weirdly, with the wrestlers, it's not affecting really how they wrestle. They're almost wrestling as if the crowd's going to a peach and a crescendo. What would have been more interesting, maybe the only person that's actually playing up to that is Jay White, actually. Yeah. He's actually playing with the crowd and what they're doing. Um, whereas all they're doing, and that's the thing, that's another criticism I've seen on Twitter as well, is that like every G1 Climax match has the same formula of <laughs> reversal, 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 who finally hits the big move, wins the match. in the Forearm trades and what have well, you. Well, not even forearm trades, but more just like the sequencing of like one goes for a finisher, it's reversed, or it's escaped, and they turn that into their own finisher. Yeah. And you see that in this match, that's what it leads up to. And you're just trying to figure out, oh, who's going to be the one to unpick the lock? You know, who's going to be the one that hits that move? And that's what finishes the match. Do you think, um, um, and it comes from a quote um, I heard on Chris Jericho's, I think it was his podcast with EC3. Um, someone who he had wrestled with on a recent uh, AEW was like, was that match any good? And he's like, this was when no, no, no fans at all. He's like, I don't know. It's without the crowd, we have no barometer as to what's good. And... Maybe what we're looking at now is even even though there are a crowd, but they interact differently to the norm. It affects the way that people could organically respond and maybe like change things within the match. That's the thing. Like I, another person that's actually playing with that very well is Hiroshi Tanahashi, in that he's making this whole point of I wish we could all be together more. Like, you know, he'll point to people in the crowd and do like mimicking a hug as opposed to being able mm. to hug them. So he's like addressing what is happening at the moment. I mean I was saying this to you when I was uh, when I was watching him that Juice Robinson Yeah is so charismatic and energetic and flamboyant that if I was starting a wrestling promotion today I might make him my top face. And I think he's one of the few wrestlers that you could slot into the late 80s, early 90s sort of WWF area. And he would fit in. And he'd be fine. Hand in glove, he'd be fine. Yeah. Because he plays to the crowd. And that's his whole thing that he does play up to the crowd. And he's still doing it and trying to give them a show, but they can't reciprocate their appreciation, you know? Yeah. And so it almost feels like maybe he should change 
up how he behaves because of that. But he's still doing the flamboyant stuff. I don't, I don't know. Like, does that mean that he should then almost be like a young lion and just run to the ring and have no personality and showmanship? No, but it's it's weird. Like, they're wrestling the same in front of a crowd, in front of no crowd, as they would if they're in front of a crowd. As they're an entertainment medium, isn't that what they should be doing? They should and they shouldn't. In that they should address the situation and it should affect how they wrestle i think you know what it's like this is going to be a weird analogy but stay with me here do you remember when the first wolverine movie was coming out hugh jackman with leave schreiber you know they completely screwed up deadpool and all that yeah do you remember like a few weeks before it came out a leaked early cut of it came out with incomplete sound effects with incomplete visual effects some of it's perfect, some of it is, like, barely out of, like, an animatic stage. Yeah. That's what these matches feel like. Like, they're pre-final cuts, that there needs to be, like, that added final sound mix that goes into it. Mm. It's like a demo tape of a wrestling match. I get where you're coming from. The other rest, the wrestling I watch on a weekly basis, um, AEW Dynamite, where it has organic fans now for the last couple of weeks but they're in such a small volume compared to what we're used to it does seem even though some of the stuff in the ring has been very entertaining or like you know very good quality it doesn't seem like it is because the reaction's not there yeah well someone made a point that actually in a weird way we've returned to the days of studio wrestling it's nwa power yeah <laughs> but it's unfortunately like a, a crowd of plants as opposed to actual wrestling fans. So that's what makes it again feel inauthentic. Well, it's weird now. It's like plants and non-plants interacting with each other. Uh, in, in, as I say, in Dynamite, it's a weird blend. Yeah. I think what we're driving at, and we have gone like massively off topic compared to the specific match, is everyone's trying to deal with this situation in different ways, but... As a, as a medium of entertainment, I think what it should be doing is, and I think they acknowledge it in some way, like some ways by by being in the situation that they're in, rather than like having to outwardly talk about it. Because I feel that the way wrestlers feel is that we should try and put on as best, at, as close to what we can as we could before, because... It's a distraction from life. Yeah, but my point is that they should try and maybe take advantage of the situation. And at times they do. I mean, obviously that you've you've had this increase of cinematic wrestling matches, and we'll talk about that at some point. Although they have started to tone down on that in recent weeks, but at least that was was a creative response to the issue. Yeah. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but at least it was something that we're going to be able to define this by, and it was an actual authentic response to where, what situation we're in. This, like I said, it feels like... I guess it's just because Dave Meltzer's saying this is a five-star match, and I just think, like, obviously, like I said, he thinks that there are certain requirements that you have to have to make a five-star match, and this met it. And I think that this proves, to me, that a five-star match has to have a more reactive crowd to it the only mm. other match that i can remember that get a five stars that had almost as cold a crowd but even then they got into it towards the end was the the second match that we covered the uwf shoot style wrestling match which was similarly to a very quiet observant audience again like close to the stereotype of the japanese audience yeah yeah 
I'm going to hold my tongue on that one because my feelings on that match are quite clear. <laughs> yeah, but my, my point is that if Dave has his requirements, I have my requirements, and my requirements include a hot crowd. Yeah. And this crowd couldn't be hot even if it wanted to be. I think the crowd was enjoying it. It's hard to tell, obviously, because of the clappings. The clapping's fine, and but it, even because you can't see their faces, that's that's the annoying thing as well. So, well, okay. Here's another thing I'll say: like when you go to a comedy show or you see a film, yeah, or a comedy film, the reaction the first couple of jokes get sort of sets a max volume you can go to, and then everyone just becomes self will be self conscious if they laugh louder. People can control how loud and how quietly they laugh. The vast majority of people can, yeah, even if they're having a good time. Like I remember seeing Austin Powers Gold Member, and just the audience was too scattered and quiet for them to feel like they could t- they could laugh really loud. I'll give you my own experiences when I've done comedy shows. When I did the Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan comedy show, and it'd be in front of about six people, they could be having a good time, but they'll be smiling throughout mm. because they don't want attention to be brought to them if they're the loud laugher out of the six people. Yeah. But then when I brought that show back a year later in front of a very large crowd in relative terms for me i'm not you know <laughs> I'm not booking the pleasance grand or anything but yeah it was like a big audience for me and it was a packed audience there wasn't any social distancing because there was a, a butt in almost every seat yeah they felt more comfortable with each other it was also a later night later time of the show so, they, so some of them probably had a drink or two in them and they all were much louder inhibitions were lowered and they laughed and they because they wanted to be part of a shared moment and so they probably enjoyed the show more because of that than they would have if they'd seen it the year before in front of seven or eight people. And they would have thought, that was a good show. Whereas a year later, they were like, that was a good time. Yeah. So the people in the crowd are like, this is a good match, but they're not having a good, a great time particularly because they can't let their inhibitions out. So they're thinking, like, I can't yell, so I can't really get that enthusiastic about it because it'd be a waste of energy. My equivalent to that is when I saw, and funnily enough, it's weird because it's due to come out, I think at some point this month is the sequel, is when I saw Borat in the cinema. Because it was it was so packed, uh, I ended up having to sit in the wheelchair seats. Because um, the they were the, the only seats. was furious. <laughs> they were literally the only seats available. Um, and I'm not a big fan of obviously sitting that far forward, but, you know, you put up with it. But the, the atmosphere... <laughs> Just because everyone was so into, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like yeah. There's nothing like being in a there's nothing like packed cinema. There's, yeah, there's nothing like being in a packed cinema for a comedy where everyone's up for it. Yeah, like going to see South Park the movie, and when they first start singing Uncle Fucker, and everyone's losing their minds, or um, or seeing Team America, and you know just. The first time, like the stereotypical Arab music starts playing, <laughs> and everyone just laughs. Yeah. But then you, like, if you'd have seen Team America, and it was like a few weeks later, and there's only about twenty of you there on an afternoon, you're not going to laugh as loudly because you're too self-conscious. Do you think another problem with that, and it sort of links into Shingo and Will, is you've been your table's been set too high by expectation? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like this wasn't this wasn't as good as their previous match. Yeah, and that hampers this match. No, there's nothing they can do about it. Well, you can you can't match and exceed it. That's what Omega and Okada managed to do. Yeah, that's what Tanahashi and Okada kept doing. That's what Flair and Steamboat did. 
But I don't think I don't think that was expected of them. They're they're only at the halfway point. If this was the G one climax final, then I think they would have done everything in their ability and they would have been given every opportunity to beat the best of the Super Juniors final. And maybe in a couple of years' time, Takagi Osprey will be a G one climax final. That seems completely believable to me. Do you know another problem I had with this match? In, not, and not <laughs> I don't. I want to say this was a very well wrestled match, and no one yeah, really put yeah. the foot wrong. It's nothing to do with the quality of the match, but it's a problem I personally have, which does affect my enjoyment. And it's despite obviously what people think, it's not to do with his out of ring antics. I have in ring Will Osprey fatigue. It just becomes a bit too. I feel it's becoming a bit too contrived. The um, the exchange that like the flippy exchanges now, and it's just well, a bit. I think he's trying to deliberately move away from that. Like, this whole match was him, for the most... Like, the, the, the best of the Super Juniors match was speed versus power. Yeah. But with this one, it seems to be that Osprey thinks he's brilliant at everything now. And he tries to match Takagi at times, strength to strength, power for power. You know, like, he's challenging him to have a, you know, a shoulder a chop block off. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah, and they have the chop off as well. Osprey's whole thing at this point is that I'm a heavyweight and, like, I'm bulking up. Mm. And so that suggests that he also plans to, I don't know if he'll drop them entirely, but I don't think he'll be doing, does he do a dive to the outside in this match? He does do a Sasuke special, yes. Yeah, okay. But I think he's not going to be doing everything off the top rope all the time. You know, like his finisher is the Stormbreaker and the... and the um, a Hidden Blade. Hidden Blade, you know, that's a power move and a strike move. And like I said, it wasn't a case of speed versus power. It was someone trying to prove that they're an all-rounder against mm. a guy whose strength is still his power and his brawling. And he can also go at that quick pace because of his Dragon Gate experience. But also he's trying to get himself out of a hole at 2-0 down. Because when you remember the best of the Super Juniors match, he'd gone into that match, literally he'd gone undefeated in his block. Yeah, And Will Ospreay had gone in like with a couple of losses. So at that point, Takagi was the overwhelming favourite and Osprey would have been seen as the underdog whereas it's sort of vice versa at this point Takagi's fighting for his life whereas Osprey's almost like trying to I think Osprey sees himself where Okada was in like 2012-2013 he's like the new pretender and this is just like his like this is his logical ascension to the throne that's mm-hmm. sort of how he plays it throughout this whole match which is why I wouldn't be surprised if this is all leading up to an Osprey heel turn and either forming his own group or Chaos being turned into a heel faction and Okada being kicked out. Yeah, because that... that I can't see him being put in the Bullet Club, but, you know, crazier things have happened. And Because you've always got to be... In New Japan, you've always got to be in a faction. Maybe maybe Suzuki Gun will fall apart because of the whole Suzuki Tai Chi thing that was being uh, teased. Yeah. And maybe something new will be formed from the ashes of that with... Osprey and Zack Sabre and Tai Chi and I don't know I don't know maybe something could I think there's still recom uh, you know things being reconfigured this year yeah obviously with the evil leaving Los Ingobernables for for a start um but yeah and it's just and at the end I think there was a good thing uh, do you have any other notes on the match itself no uh, no not really uh, there were a couple of really good counters from uh, Osprey in it uh, the the stunner counter was Mm. Well, that's his classic, really. Yeah. Um, he did a great one. I mean, the the one that he does that's now just become a trademark, but this time last year when he was doing it, where he's doing a full flip over someone and landing in having them in a powerbomb position. Yeah. 
that his legs, when he's flying over, his legs are going, uh, you know, over the guy's head, and he's got him in perfect position already for him to go into powerbomb. And you get that in this match at one point. I love his hook kick. And what I also love is that how it's a counter that surprised someone, but at that one, he did it where he was sort of running backwards to catch Takagi before he went on a sprint to the ropes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was a real... Uh, and the, yeah, the, the the curve on his leg to do it. Yeah, yeah, That's... I do love it. And the timing of his leg slap as well always makes it look and sound brutal too. Um, I love that, like I said, it's so much it's always about counters and ducks and everything. So Takagi goes for his pumping bomber and Osprey ducks it and you're assuming, and I think Osprey is also assuming, okay, I'm going to hit him with my clothesline. But instead, just Takagi powers through him. Just like, whatever you were trying to do, I just completely overwhelmed just it with a punching bomber. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Then he hits like an avalanche DVD, uh, Death Valley Driver at one point. Uh, that That's before he ducks the pumping bomber and hits the second one. And that gets the classic one count fighting spirit, which yeah. means that the person who just kicked out of that is almost certainly about to be pinned. <laughs> Although he does, he does kick out at the long two after that. So he sort of both subverts, but still plays up to the cliche, as it were, at the end. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, and then also right at the end, Takagi kind of makes sure that he looks him in the eye before he leaves. It's like, maybe you shouldn't be so cocky, you know? Yeah. And we're, and we're one all. So you know better than me, Sonny Malad. Whatever Sonny Malad is in Japanese. This has been a good G1, but it does. It obviously it feels like a step down because it's both, you know, the, the, the crowds aren't there as they were. And I know we've talked about sport before, but it's not exclusive. My feeling isn't exclusive to professional wrestling. Uh, when I've watched UFC uh, and boxing, whilst I've, I've been, like, from a technical standpoint, like, happy to hear, actually hear coaches coach people, and that's that's been really interesting. The roar of the crowd is is an absolute essential. And football, football needs... It's just not the same without fans. Like, any form of sport or sports entertainment. Yeah, but if Villa are putting seven past Liverpool, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Pinned your colours to the mass. They're doing the best with what they've got. They had a very entertaining match. There have been very entertaining matches in the G1. Uh, I don't think this will be seen as a G1 for the ages so far. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't be... Sp- and it's also, obviously, uh, Meltzer isn't dishing out the five stars all over the place like he was the last few years. Um, there will probably be more five-star matches in this run, you would assume, but he hasn't given five stars to an Okada Ibushi match. He hasn't given five stars to a Naito Tanahashi match. He hasn't given it to any Ishii matches yet. He usually guaranteed at least a couple of Ishii five-star matches yeah. in the G1. Um, and Ishii's already faced Suzuki, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Although that might not have been reviewed yet on Mel, so I kind of lose track of it. But um, we are keeping on top of things, obviously, uh, within within a certain uh, limit of our time and space and effort. But we'll be back next week with another five-star match, if there has been one. You'd assume there probably will have been. But if not, then we've still got, as promised before, Atlantis versus Villano Trez from uh, CMLL back in 2000, the 2000 Wrestling Observer Match of the Year. The two guys that had the 2019 Match of the Year have put on a good match, but not a very good match, but not a match I would be giving five stars to. Would you, Simon? No. So you'll hear us next week doing either another five-star match, probably from New Japan. Maybe AEW snuck something in there. Who knows? 
Maybe something from the NOAA N1 tournament or the All Japan Champion Carnival tournament, which are taking place at the exact same time as we speak as the G1 Climax. So if you're into your Japanese wrestling, you've got plenty of stuff to go through at the moment. But anyway, if what you really like doing is going through two blokes talking about pro wrestling in a podcast, it's quite a unique selling point, then just (laughs) wait till next week. You'll hear something from us. We just don't know what it is yet for certain. But until then... You can get in touch with us at lntyspod at gmail.com. lntyspod is also our Twitter handle. We're also on Facebook. And if you want to get in touch with me, that's Lorca Mullen, L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for an almighty hush. And N for no speaking aloud. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. If you want to get in touch with me via email, put an email at, at gmail.com at the end of Lorcan Mullen. Simon, how can people get in touch with you? People can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm signing the Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the number of different types of clap you would need throughout this match. There's also three different types of clap you've dealt with in life, but we'll not, we'll not talk we'll about that. We'll gloss over right that. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it does leave a glossy aftershine. And you can also subscribe to us on Patreon. Yes, that's true. You can give us a Patreon uh, backer. Uh, you can pick a match that we can discuss in the future in another match of the week if you so wish to pay the commissioner level. If you want to be a click member, then you can get a, an even more meandering conversation, but you get to ask us a question that we can meander about for a while. Or you can just be a grapple fan and give us a small amount of money. All those tiers are up to you. But until next week's episode, whatever that may turn out to be, My name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time. Bye, it's done.